Hello, my name is Dr. Paul Wheatley-Price, a medical oncologist and president of Lung Cancer Canada. Welcome to our podcast series called Lung Cancer Voices. In this series of podcasts, I'm interviewing patients, caregivers, healthcare professionals, some of the leading lung cancer researchers in the country, indeed in the world, to highlight important and relevant issues facing those affected by lung cancer. Welcome to this episode of Lung Cancer Voices. And in this podcast, I'm really I'm delighted to be chatting with Jill Hamer-Wilson, who is a guest who I really should have invited to be on the pod a long time ago. So I'm really pleased that you're here. Jill and I are both in Ottawa, and Jill is really very well known now in the lung cancer community across Canada and beyond for her really tireless work as a lung cancer patient advocate. So uh, we're going to hear her story and some of the things that she's been doing, which um, hopefully would be an encouragement to others to get involved. Jill, welcome to the podcast. Could, could you introduce yourself to the listeners? Well, it's great to be here. Thank you, Paul. And thank you for doing the sound work in the background, Christine. I really appreciate that. Just to introduce you to my background, um, anyone can get lung cancer, even um, someone like me, which I, I had no idea about this before I was diagnosed, but anyone can get lung cancer, even someone with you know, a few degrees who spent a lot of her career working with university students, developing leaders and building community. When I was diagnosed, I had three small kids. They were just six, 10 and 12. And um, my diagnosis came as a huge shock. I had this cold with a cough that just wouldn't go away. And at first it didn't concern me because, you know, it was early September and in the schoolyard, a lot of people had that same cough. But after a couple of weeks, I went to the doctor and actually took a couple months before I finally got my diagnosis, uh, which was very sadly stage four um, ALK positive lung cancer. Now, at that time, I had no idea what ALK meant, and I had no idea that it would make such a difference. But the fact that my hospital tested for that specific biomarker at that time made all the difference. Knowing what particular kind of lung cancer I had meant that I could benefit from the best, most effective treatments. And that's one of the reasons that I'm alive today. So I'm here to say biomarker testing really matters. And the terrific care that I got from my oncologist and the healthcare team at the Ottawa Hospital really um, made the difference too. They connected me with a well, really a roller coaster of different treatments. Um, in the past eight years, I've undergone um, seven different lines of treatment, including a clinical trial and uh, several different targeted therapies, chemotherapy and radiation. And these have kept me alive, as I said, almost eight years. So what's happened during that time is that two of my kids have actually grown taller than me which is terrific. And the youngest one is catching up too. She's in grade nine. She just started high school this year. My middle one will graduate this year. And my oldest is in his third year of university. And I should mention just a moment of bragging because one of my degrees is in engineering and my son is studying electrical engineering and physics. So he's in his third year and um, very proud of all my kids. I love him so much. And we're so thankful that I'm still in their lives. Jill, could you have imagined eight years ago when you were diagnosed that 
you would be seeing your eldest son pursue the same kind of profession and degree that you, that you wanted to? Oh my goodness, no. I, uh, I was diagnosed in December. And to be honest, I really thought that was going to be my last Christmas. Like I kept taking pictures thinking, this is, this is it, you know? But again, like I said, I had no idea what being an alcohol positive meant and how much new research would matter, you know, and that's one of the reasons that I, I do a lot of advocacy because it's the new research and I've really been able to benefit from, you know, really the cutting edge research yeah. and having access to the newest of treatments. So we should just briefly mention for, for people listening, ALK positive lung cancer. So it's it's not that common. It's about 3% of lung cancers, but um, lots of stories of people like you, Jill, who who have ALK positive lung cancer, who have been treated with targeted therapies, usually pills, and, and have these you know, long, long-term survival and you know, many years beyond what we ever used to see. Now you hinted at that um, we, and, and in your answer just a moment ago that I'd like to kind of delve into, because I've interviewed a lot of people on this podcast and a lot of patients who have given really remarkable stories of, of how they've faced their cancer and, and, and often done very well with treatments. And you clearly are eight years along your journey now, but don't really want to talk to you too much about, about that because you've, in addition to having lung cancer and go through seven lines of treatment with three school-age kids now, now college and graduating high school, you know, I would imagine as someone with two kids in a similar age range and a job that that's plenty but you have gone beyond your own lung cancer illness and being a mom to three kids to really influence to quite a high degree the broader lung cancer milieu because of your activities. Before we delve into some of some of them in, de- in a bit more detail, could you just give us a flavor of the kind of activities that you've been up to with lung cancer aside from your own treatments? Uh, Sure. Well, I started out with a bit of public speaking locally and that kind of, that really expanded a lot. So I've done a lot of speaking at international conferences and things as well. I've done some political advocacy. I've done a lot of research advocacy. Yeah. Speaking at fundraisers and webinars and conferences and I even spoke at Grand Rounds, which was really exciting, really wild. Yeah, I've done a a huge variety of different kinds of advocacy, and it's been something that I've really enjoyed. I would never really expect anyone else to do as much advocacy as I do, because I kind of, I just pour myself into it, and, and I love it. It really it fulfills me. I have a lot of significance in my life through advocacy. I lost friends to lung cancer and um, I know I can't bring them back, but I have a real strong desire to make things better for other people affected by lung cancer. You know, one of the things, um, sorry, I I interrupted you. One of the things I was going to say was in the time that we've worked together and I should tell people listening that um, while Jill and I are both in Ottawa, I'm, I'm not, I'm not your oncologist, Jill. It's, I'm, but we've worked together in some of these issues that you listed. And what you have done for us is you bring an urgency 
like a personal urgency, which has been, uh, you know, like a lighting a fire under our backsides uh, <laughs> that advocating as clinicians is not just something that we do along with, you know, other aspects of our job, but this, you know, it's affecting people's lives right now. And if we don't do it right now, who is going to do it? And I, I, you deserve a tremendous amount of credit for bringing that, that real urgency to the community. Can I, can I go to some of those things you listed? I was, you know, you sort of just dropped in now. I speak at international conferences and I, as though it's, uh, as though it's nothing. Like which international conferences have you spoken at? Well, shoot off the top of my head, the International Psychosocial Oncology Society Conference. Um, as you know, there's an Ottawa support group, which was founded by Diane Manny um, as the founding leader. But really, it was started because there was a fundraising team led by Louise Bowles and, and a bigger Ottawa team, as well as together with Lung Cancer Canada, who... Um, who worked to like that the vision and the desire to get some Ottawa people together to start a support group. And so Diane and I went, the conference was actually in Banff. So thankfully it wasn't too far a trip, but um, yeah, we spoke about the small group, the support group in Ottawa and the difference it makes. And it was a real privilege to be there because I met people from around the world and I went there sure to learn and to also communicate what I was learning back to people who couldn't be there but um, one of the big things I was doing there was talking to people and asking them what kind of support do you have for people affected by lung cancer do you have support groups where you are in your cancer center and I got a lot of um, you know kind of blank looks back there are a lot of people who really hadn't considered doing anything for people affected by lung cancer they had a lot of programs for certain other cancers that have like better survival rates and more survivors but the reality is lung cancer research is changing the lung cancer landscape so there are more and more of us who are living longer and there's more need and when you gather us together in a support group, like that team did initially in Ottawa to, um, you know, to, to get us together, wow, that's, that's lighting a fire under us yeah. that can really make good advocacy happen, as well as strong support. You know, that, um, that Ottawa support group was started in the fall of 2017, and it's still going strong, although we meet um, by Zoom now because of COVID. And we've got a new leader who's Dr. Sophie LaBelle. She's fantastic. And we've got so many new great people in there as well. It's really grown even during COVID. We get to meet new people and we get to, um, you know, to love each other and encourage each other and help each other. Yeah. So support groups, you've been instrumental in founding one in Ottawa, advocating for that this conference you've also been involved with the world conference on lung cancer haven't you and the international association for the study of lung cancer yeah so kim mcintosh was she was invited to go as an advocate here from the ottawa hospital even though she's based in cornwall and also treated there and i want to give a big shout out to kim because she has done so much tremendous advocacy 
And um, so she went as our Canadian advocate and I was really privileged to get to go as the Canadian mentor with her. And we were in Barcelona and with a team of other people from different countries. And they had at that time, um, it was the inaugural STARS program, which was a program for helping people who are affected by lung cancer learn more about research advocacy in the context of a big conference. And um, that was a great program. It was, I think it was kind of loosely based off of the um, American Association for Cancer Research Scientist Survivor Program. So um, that's a really good one too for learning about research advocacy. Anyway, yeah, the, the STARS program was a great program and I recommend it for anyone who's interested in learning more about research advocacy, for sure. What would you say um, in, from your experience is the importance of having the patient voice in discussions around research? Well, believe it or not, sometimes researchers get really excited about their research and they kind of forget um, to, put, put, to also put their patient hat on. So it's really important to have a patient at the table or caregiver, or you know, just someone who's representing the patient voice. For example, I work with the Canadian Cancer Trials Group, which is, um, uh, let's say I'm part of the, the lung executive with them. And, um, and that came about because my oncologist, Dr. Nicholas, saw that I had done some advocacy about a patient perspective on my own clinical trial. And he invited me to consider applying for that position. So in my own clinical trial, I was on it for quite some time before I finally spoke up, but I had to be, to have blood draws done two days in a row. And I didn't understand the reasoning for that. And so I questioned that and I said, you know, I'm not a, an oncologist or a cancer researcher. I don't have a PhD or anything, but I don't see the reason why we couldn't just do both of these blood draws on the same day. Why am I coming in two days in a row when I could just come in one day? And why am I getting two pokes when I could just get one? So um, in all this time that the clinical trial had been running, I guess no one asked that question before. And when I asked it, apparently there were quite a few hours of discussion around whether or not they could change things up. And a lot of people were involved. I had no idea I was stirring up so much trouble, but they changed it. And that's great because it made a difference, not just for me, obviously, but for everyone involved in the trial. So having a patient perspective to think about it, you know, from a, like with the patient hat on can really make a difference. Right. And after all, the research is for the patients, right? So our voice should be included. Yep. And also, research shows that the research is better when patients are involved. You know, we get better accrual and we get better results too. So it's more effective. So we want the research to be the best it can be. So we should be including patients. And, and now, Jill, maybe you can you can tell us that, but there are patient groups, uh, not patient groups like Lung Cancer Canada, like patient groups founded by patients for some of the subtypes of lung cancer, including ALK, and, and those groups are now funding their own research. Is that right? 
oh yes, I'm raising millions of dollars for it too. So not just elk, but a lot of the other um, groups are, are really, and they're getting coordinated worldwide too for advocacy. It's really exciting. Yeah. Yeah, if anyone, I should just say, if anyone is looking for um, like a submutation, like a mutations group or anything like that, feel free to reach out to me. Um, you know, you can find me on Facebook, Jill Hamer Wilson, or Twitter, or wherever you can find me, find me. And we can do yeah. that through the Lung Cancer Canada website as well. We can we can connect sure. people to you. That's great. Thank you, Jill. So, my gosh, you're connected with the Canadian Cancer Trials Group. That's our national main research body. You're connected with IASLC, the, the main international lung cancer academic group. Um, so that's national, international. You've already spoken about local, local events like, like the support group and speaking at uh, speaking at events and fundraisers. Um, what what about the political advocacy? What what you mentioned that you'd been doing some of that. What's that been? Well, that's mostly been together with the Canadian Cancer Survivors Network. So they're a great group who organize, like they, they do all the work really. They just set you up with, um, with meetings with people and they, um, you know, they ask you to share your story and talk about certain points that they're focusing on. So I've done, um, you know, several different um, meetings and campaigns with them. It's been really good experiences. They also have webinars, all kinds of training too, because I'm a firm believer in, you know, learning as much as you can do. And, you know, it's like when I'm sharing my story, I want to do the best job that I can do. So be, be as prepared as I can be. And I'm grateful for CCSM's, um, yeah. you know, educational aspect as well. And Lung Cancer Canada as well. I've done things with Lung Cancer Canada and appreciate the training that I've received there too. You sure have. You've done, you, you seem to have worked with, with a lot of people and at Lung Cancer Canada, we've, we've done stuff as well with CCSN, the Canadian Cancer Survivor Network and um, Jackie Manthorn, who's their president and CEO, who's an amazing uh, mm -hmm. advocate as well. And, you know, this is an audio recording for the podcast, but we're, we're recording this by Zoom and, and over your shoulder there, you've got the, the white ribbon What's the white, maybe you could tell people about the white ribbon. Sure, I'd love to. Thanks, Paul. So just over a year ago, like we've, we're, we've just kind of finished celebrating our um, one year week anniversary of when um, Heidi Onda in Colorado, she got really frustrated because she was going to her cancer center asking them, what are you doing for Lung Cancer Awareness Month? Which you probably all know is November. And um, they didn't have much response for her. In fact, the answer they did have was quite, in my opinion, well, it just was. It was rude and patronizing and really hurtful. And she came home angry and upset. And she said to her husband, well, I can't do anything at my cancer center but at least we can do something at home. And her husband is a primary care physician, but he has a hobby of woodworking. So she said to him, would you please make me a big white wooden ribbon that we can put on our door? And he, he loves his wife. And um, 
And I should mention that Heidi was diagnosed stage three uh, lung cancer. And, um, you know, he was just devastated because even as a, as a doctor, he didn't see it coming. They were blindsided by it. And uh, so a lot of their messaging is around anyone can get lung cancer. And um, he made her a ribbon and they started, other people started seeing it and hearing the stories. And before you know it, so many people were asking for ribbons and um, they have made over 800 ribbons like just in this past year and given them away. They've paid for it all themselves, like all of the, the costs of materials to make them and all the shipping. They've sent them to Canada and then Canadians here have um, started making them. So Bill and Lisa Weir and um, London, Ontario have made um, over 200 and Caroline and Alvin Johns have made I should, I should have my notebook in front of me. I don't remember all the numbers, but they've made, you know, a number of them. And um, Tim and Patty Mons in Alberta. And, you know, more, more and more people are saying, we really want to make more ribbons. And the goal is that each community is really self-supportive. So, you know, we'll have community builds and, you know, it doesn't have to be hard. You can just invite your friends to participate yeah. and bring things. You mentioned, yeah. uh, you mentioned Tim there, and he's also been on the Lung Cancer Voices podcast. And I should mention, yeah. you, you also mentioned our, our friend Kim McIntosh earlier, and she's, she's yeah. also been on the podcast if people want to go back and listen to their stories. Can, can yeah. you ask about the, the white ribbon a bit more? Because you had an event at your house as well that I came to and painting ribbons. And uh, what what's the purpose of it though? I mean, is it... Uh, there's white ribbons now going widely around the lung cancer community. What's the message that we should take from that? Is it is it one for about research or awareness or support? Well, that's the beauty of the white ribbon that it's yes to all of those things. The main first message is you're not alone, but it's an easy on-ramp to advocacy. You know, you can take pictures on social media with it. You can take it to your cancer center. You can give it to your oncologist. There are lots of things you can do with it. But the main thing that's really exciting that we're seeing, especially in the United States, and I would love it if it happened more here, but a lot of cancer centers are using this as an opportunity to really, you know, up their game in terms of lung cancer awareness raising. We're seeing it with screening and just all kinds of other areas of advocacy that really matter. So you'll notice a lot more cancer centers are doing more social media. They're doing ribbon belts at their cancer centers. Just a lot more advocates are gathering together. And I think, you know, the most powerful advocacy happens in multidisciplinary teams. You know, when we get um, just a wide variety of people involved, including patients and oncologists and others. So when we work together as a team, wow, that's when things really start to happen. So we're seeing dramatic changes happening as people are rising up with the White Ribbon Project. And I would love to see more of that here in Canada. That's great. Jill, we've covered um, political advocacy, patient groups, public speaking, the White Ribbon, CCTG, IASLC, the International Psychosocial Conference, 
your personal story. What's next? What's next? Well, yeah. I'm just keeping on, keeping on. I Every day I find things to do and um, today is no exception. It's been a real joy to hang out with you, Paul, and, you know, chat about advocacy. I love it. I just love advocacy. So I keep looking for more things to do. And I have a lot of regular commitments that keep me out of trouble and off the street. So that's good. <laughs> well, Jill, like, but, I think um, on behalf of like Lung Cancer Canada, at least, and I'm, I'm sure all of the other groups from the White Ribbon Project to, you know, the list of groups that we've, we've mentioned would, you know, we're all very grateful to you for really being a leader among patients driving the lung cancer agenda forward and, and research and awareness. You deserve a phenomenal amount of, of credit. Um, well, thank you, Paul. You know, I'll just be real with you, though. I love people affected by lung cancer. And just like with the White Ribbon Project, which love is a huge value there. Yeah. And, you know, inclusive, inclusiveness and a lot of other things, too. But, you know, the love is not something that's just soft and squishy. Love goes straight to action with a sense of urgency. So, you know, if we love people, we understand that there are gaps in their care. And if we actually care about them, then we just, we, we have to take action when they're being hurt. So it's, it's my love for people affected by lung cancer that challenges me to, to work with all the groups and to push forward and uh, encourage them and remind them that they're not just doing work, but their work is for real people. Yeah. So how, you would know, you encourage, how would you encourage people to get involved if, uh, if they wanted to? Well, I would say the first thing to do is to look at um, what your skills are and what your interests are. You know, look at your skill set from before you were diagnosed with cancer. You know, sometimes we can forget who we were back then and how much we have to offer. And it's so important that we bring our full selves. So my dog is, and it's good to reflect on how much time we want to invest. Um, I now give about 30 to 40 hours a week, but like I said, I would never expect that of anyone else. Um, we should give what we want to give. And for me, I started small with uh, short-term commitments and I gradually increased them, you know, as my health allowed. And um, I also think it's really good to start locally if you can. And I was really fortunate, you know, I asked my oncologist, what can I do to help? And Dr. Garth Nicholas at the Ottawa Hospital, he's really connected and he's made some really good suggestions for me. And you're, Paul, you're also in my hospital. So that made it really easy too to, to connect with you and things that you're doing. And you opened up a lot of doors for me. Now, not everyone's gonna be able to make those connections locally like I was fortunate enough to do. We need to do our part to, to reach out to people and meet them at their diagnosis as well and, you know, help them, help them understand what opportunities there are. Um, and also to make sure that they know that they're strong and that they can involve their community. So, you know, for example, you may be having a weekday, but maybe your caregiver wants to step in and do something on that day. 
Um, some days are better than others, but you're never alone. So that really matters. And I would say also, you know, reach out to advocates online, reach out to us and ask questions and get together with other people because, you know, advocacy, it's all about teamwork. It's about relationships. And um, when we work together, especially in multidisciplinary teams, that's when we're the strongest and most effective. So, you know, do your research, find groups that are a good fit for you. Obviously, if you're listening to this podcast, you already know about Lung Cancer Canada, and that's great. And there are also other organizations too. So find what's a good fit for you, what kind of advocacy, what your interests are, what your willingness is in terms of time commitment. And, um, you know, just keeping open, keeping open to saying yes. Don't think that just because you've been diagnosed with lung cancer, that can stop you. It really can't. In fact, like I spoke at a bunch of national conferences when I'm with a paralyzed vocal cord, which is still repairing now. I don't know if you can tell my voice is not as strong as I used to be, but it's way better than I was a year ago. And I was speaking at all these big conferences. People still really appreciated hearing me speak, even though my voice was very, very weak. So we still have things to offer, definitely. Well, your voice may have been weak then, but your message was strong. Um, Jill, thank you so much for, for taking the time. I often kind of write down little notes of things that I'm gonna, I'm gonna personally take away. And I, I wrote down a, something that you said, I hope I'm gonna quote you correctly. You said, love goes to action with a sense of urgency. Boy, if, if we can all adopt that, then we will for sure move forward. For people listening, if there's anything that you've heard Jill say that resonates with you or you'd like to get involved, as you heard from Jill, you can reach out to her on social media. You can certainly reach out to lungcancercanada.ca. You've heard some of the other organizations mentioned like White Ribbons, uh, the Ottawa Regional Cancer Foundation, um, the Canadian Cancer Trials Group, Gosh, the, I'm sure I'm, I'm missing some as well. But if, if, if you're interested in, in reaching out, please please do, and we'd be happy to connect you. Um, and please join, join us for the next episode of Lung Cancer Voices. Thanks to our producer, Ryan Mullen. Please send us your feedback, like and follow us on Facebook at LungCan, on Twitter at LungCancer underscore can, and on Instagram at LungCancerCanada. For more information about lung cancer or to donate, volunteer or share your story, visit our webpage at lungcancercanada.ca.